Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, here along with my colleague for the Detroit Free Press, Chris Solari. And this is a Monday, uh, April 17th, two days after Michigan State's spring drills, scrimmage, game thingy uh, for the, the football program. We talk about practice. Yeah, spring practice is what open spring practice to, to wrap up the spring at Spartan Stadium, which you know I had I you know I had a decent crowd, beautiful day, twelve to fifteen thousand people. I thought that was sort of my estimate. Um and uh, uh there were some a few interesting things. It's hard to gain a lot from that because it's not even a, a full scrimmage. It's like, you know, an hour of of if that of, of of actual scrimmaging. But I thought there were a few interesting performances. The quarterbacks obviously were were center stage because when you have an open quarterback competition, that's always going to be center stage until it's decided. And um, Chris, what, what were your your primary takeaways from? Uh, and, and obviously, you wrote about this uh, as well. But what were your primary takeaways from uh, from Saturday? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is look at the format of it. it, it there are so many people that want to say they're football fans, but never want to see or know how the sausage is made if you will and and that's why i do like this format a little bit because you can see what they do in drills i mean it, what you see isn't necessarily 100 percent representative of what a full practice is like but it's a lot of it um you know there's a lot of drill work there was less emphasis on you know maybe install uh i think that's that's something that you don't necessarily get there but you get to see the drills you get to see how and why guys move up or or behind a little bit in the 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 rep chart, and then when they did go to scrimmage, I think you did see why some of those guys were where they're at on the rep chart, um, you know, or depth chart, however you want to describe it. I think probably right now, I know Mel Tucker likes to call it a rep chart, but I think right now it's especially a rep chart because when you get to the fall, that's when you start to say where your depth is, and I think. The biggest takeaway, obviously, was that Peyton Thorne seems like he's still fairly comfortable in the lead uh, at the quarterback spot, though I do think Noah Kim's probably a little closer than he was at the end of last year, and Caden Hauser has talent and looks like that he still needs work and seasoning. I think, And I think that was pretty clear in how those reps were divvied up, uh, particularly with the final couple drills between ones against ones and twos against twos and and Caden Hauser standing and waiting and as practice ended for a chance in that in that little hurry up drill. Yeah, no, I think you know one thing that that, that people should know is like they're, they're very aware that they're being watched. Yep. And so how how the reps are divvied up uh is is intentional, right? And so and one of the things Mel Tucker said afterwards I thought was important. He said it was very indicative 
of how the spring went. Because you could have a spring scrimmage that, that lies. You can have a guy who has 14 great spring practices and just has an off day in the spring game or whatever, and, and that's not um, – but so that's why that comment from him was important. Now, it may not be, you know, that, that everything that happened throughout the spring, there may have been days where Kate Hauser looked like the best quarterback. There may have been days where all sorts of things happened. But um, the reps they divvied out were, and, and the performances we saw were evident of that pecking order. I think what, what, what's, what's sort of interesting, Chris, is um, like I, I agree that if like my if I had to, to, to bet on it, that I would say that Peyton Thorne is the most likely starter in week one. I think where what we don't know and what we don't see is because you know Noah Kim had three or four of the best five or six throws of the scrimmage. He also had one that was airmailed, another that should have been picked off. Another and that so, was short. Yeah, so so what you don't know is because for Mel Tucker, especially, he's talked about this. You just can't turn the ball over in that position. And so, yes, you want somebody who elevates you as a, as a, as a team, but you also have to have somebody who takes care of you. And what we don't know and what is hard to tell is, and the coaches have a better sense of this from the whole spring, is does Noah Kim do that too? Is it, You know, because if you've got a guy who's going to throw, you know, he's going to make six or seven terrific throws a game, but he's going to have three or four that should be picked off, that doesn't do you a whole lot of good. And so, but we don't know that. And so I think that'll be interesting to watch as they get they get closer, how close that competition really is. Um, and I, and the other thing I think that's that's different now that I feel comfortable saying is, like Peyton Thorne talked quite a bit about his injuries last year and how much that affected him. But what's clear is they thought their other quarterbacks weren't in a place last year even with a diminished Peyton Thorne to handle the mess that was going on in terms of other injuries around him at receiver and the, and the, the losing and the pressure, like they still felt Peyton Thorne was the best quarterback. I, my sense right now is probably that if, if Peyton Thorne struggles this season for whatever reason, be it injuries again or just struggles, that Noah Kim is, is ready enough that that would be a call that they made pretty quickly, I would think. Well, you have to also look at what Noah Kim has done both last year and then in the practice on Saturday. I mean, that hurry-up drill, was he was running the second-team offense, not just against the second-team defense, but also with a, a defense that didn't have its defensive line. Um, and his touchdown pass was over a walk-on redshirt freshman defensive back who wasn't even on the roster last year. So you, those are the things that, that matter. You know, it's not just that he's delivered this ball – in stride to Antonio Gates, it's that Antonio Gates is running against a kid that's, you know, 5'11 and 180 pounds and was a is a walk-on who didn't play last year, and he's a four-star recruit, and Noah Kim is a fourth-year guy making that throw. Well, it looks good, and it looked good on what he did against Ohio State and Minnesota when he got the chance um, but that was also against their twos and threes. So it's different when, when the ones are there. And I think that's the one thing where Peyton Thorne understands what the game speed is, what, what it is necessary. And I think when he was talking about one of the, the, the thing that I thought that he said the most is, is comparing his body last year to a car in that he tried to press the accelerator and he wouldn't go anywhere. And which he, may, which may explain, which may also explain why the lack of QB sneaks and, and other things that they did. Now, 
Well, not even the QB sneaks. I mean, when they're when they're struggling to run the ball, and right. the previous year he was your second best running option. All of a sudden, you know that that run against like Western Michigan, where he took the shot in the midsection, which might have been right around the hip flexor area, you know, and it kind of when he and then he takes the shot the next week against Akron on a, a flea flicker when they don't have a run game established and no one's going to bite on that. Um, you know, that, I mean, it makes a big difference as you build towards the end of the year. And, you know, in that early part when they were losing games, he wasn't, he clearly wasn't healthy. He said he spent more time in the training room last year than, than the two previous years combined. So, I mean, he's right. I mean, we, you know, we see, even, you know, when I compile the injury report weekly, a lot of what my injury report is, is based on what we see during games. So if you see guys go out during games and then maybe come back, they're probably probable for that week. If you see a guy go and leave a game and doesn't come back, they're questionable. And then if you hear, you know, or you see a significant injury, you know, they're out, but you don't know what happens Sunday through Friday. And as we saw, there were a number of defensive linemen who were out with injuries. Keon Coleman was out with an injury. Charles Brantley was out. Um, well, I say injuries, but we don't know. They may have just been held out as a precautionary measure too. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that do go on behind the scenes that contribute to things from an, from an injury standpoint, but, um, that, that Thorne admitted to it, um, and basically said that he didn't feel like himself, I think was kind of a, a good, a pretty big admission but he also didn't throw anybody else under the bus. The fact that the offensive line wasn't blocking and allowed him to get blasted on a couple of those plays too. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of things with that. One is, and I understand the reasons for not being open about specific injuries during the season. Like you don't want to say, if you've got a, a tear somewhere on your body, you do not want your opponent to understand where that is. Right. I, I get that. I also think letting that not be known until April is a detriment to Peyton Thorne. And 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 that that like at Penn State at the end of last year, like that that part of the press conference should be, you know, these guys are dealing with this or this, or 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 at some point it ought to be more clear that there's more going on with somebody because it just it just doesn't help. I mean, Peyton Thorne's well aware that I would think if you had a vote right now of the fan base, who they want to be the starting quarterback. And this is even after Saturday, even after a lot of them who maybe were intrigued by Katen Hauser, have a pretty good understanding that he might not be ready. I think Noah Kim would win hands down. And that's just because people have seen a lot of Peyton Thorne. And, and last year it was a lot. The offense wasn't that good. And the year before, they, they, they sort of give, as he was developing, they sort of give more credit to Kenneth Walker. And, and, and you know, I think it's, it's twofold. One, if you're going to give a lot of credit to Kenneth Walker, you can also say, well, then you can't just blame only Peyton Thorne for last year if he was banged up. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, my question with Peyton Thorne is, because there were also decisions last year where, he, where you, know, you would see guys when you rewatch the film, you're like, wow, that guy was was wide open. He just didn't see him. And so the thing that I want to see that happens with him, I think he is a smart quarterback. I think he's somebody who thinks the game well, who, who will someday be a really good coach because he can dissect defenses and all that stuff. The question is, will he get to a point where that translates what he understands pre-snap 
will that translate to production on the field and, and, and offense? And we, we don't know that yet. We, we'll see if he's healthy this year. We don't know. That's Those are the things we don't know. I think it's pretty clear at this point it's a two-man race. Peyton Thorne is probably the front runner based on experience. The schedule sets up decently in the fact that you've got two games at the beginning of the year where if that position was struggling against not great competition, you know, you, you could start to think about making a move. And then obviously what happens in Washington will, will I think, determine – or against Washington – will determine a lot, but, uh, the, yeah, I mean, the, and I, the but I also think that, you know, what's your expectations too? I mean, you know, if your expectations are to get to a bowl game, you can maybe make that kind of move. If your expectations are beyond that, um, you know, to win, to compete for a conference championship, you know, you're probably not making that move even until it's abundantly clear. Cause this is still, this isn't a situation like Andrew Maxwell to me, you know, Andrew Maxwell had, didn't have the full body of work that Peyton Thorne did from his sophomore year, right? I mean, you're you're still talking about a guy that's up there and he has the single season touchdown record, threw for 3,200 yards that year and had a dip last season. And, and I think that the other thing is funny is that people forgot that Peyton Thorne said this. Peyton Thorne said he was hurt back in October before the, the, the Wisconsin game. I, I I wrote about it. I don't know why people forgot. I mean, maybe it's just the the haze of everything that was happening at that point, but he said he wasn't a hundred percent since the Western Michigan game back in the middle of October. Yeah. So, but but what, what, what I mean though, is a quarterback saying I'm not a hundred percent. Everybody says that the detail in which he sort of gave when, when, when pushed a little bit the other day is important that it was, you know, the, 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 whatever third quarter, you know, the last play or third, whatever series it was against Western Michigan that, that it was a tear in the lower body, then it was an upper body. You know, like those things are that they added up. That it was like six other things. Um, those and, sort and of if details. You, go back, you and, can see it. I mean, you can go back and see it. I mean, it's the one where he sprinted out to the left, and they took a late hit against Western. Yeah. And then the next week, it was the flea flicker early in the second, the first play of the second half against Akron. Which, I mean, I, I guess you want to do that against Akron. In a game that ends up 52 nothing, but you should probably know that that's probably putting your quarterback in a compromising situation there. He didn't call out the play calling on that. He didn't call out the lack of a run game that when they were still doing those flea flickers, that there was no run game to for a defense to bite on. So, there, I mean, there, you know, I, I thought, you know, he gave a good explanation that I think he was concerned about talking about his injuries. But especially with the specificity, even though it wasn't really specific as to what exactly it was, where it was, um, but that I thought that, you know, that it was very, you know, I think about Brian Lewerke when he was hurt, um, when he had the shoulder issue after the getting sacked at Maryland or against Maryland at home and wasn't throwing the ball well. I mean, you know, it, it was, there was, you know, you want, players to to kind of say i'm not feeling well but then sometimes when they do it they get a backlash for saying it from internal or from fans no and and, and look and and i i i can't stand some of the paranoia in, in college football programs of that stuff yeah. like peyton thorne is a fifth year senior he's a grown man i don't i really don't care what the coaching staff thinks on that stuff like you, if, if you think i mean and i think the thing with the peyton thorne too is you can tell it grinds at him that he's in a little bit of a competition here, that he's battling yes. for his job. 
because he understands the mess he went through last year uh, and how difficult it was. And, and I think he was that he the has only to even talk about the injuries himself and bring them up. I think and, there was a little frustration to that. And that he was probably the only guy that could handle it. Like they knew it would just – Noah Kim was not ready last year for what was – otherwise they would have put him in, I think, if, 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 I if Thorne was hurt. And so I think that, that he understands that. He understands what he went through. But I also think it is fair to say that, you know, he's had he's been the starter for two years. And, you know, he, he is not – and he's had some really good moments. Um, but there's still a question about what his ceiling is actually as a passer. We don't know that. And, and I think it's fair. And so I think it's fair to for people to be hopeful or excited about other quarterbacks or the potential for them. It's up, it's up to the coaching staff to fully, you know, measure these guys and have an understanding of who gives them what. And then also, I, I think there are decisions. Like, the program is an interesting point now. Um, because, like, this is not a team that's likely going to compete for a championship this year. This is a program that this year what I think is important is you start to see some depth build. You start you see competence in coaching. You see some young players that look like in, they may have, you know, exciting futures. You start to see it a little bit. But I don't think they have the dudes yet to really compete. And so well, what are that's, you That's hard to say because, we, you know, until we get to see – what some guys like Keyshawn Blackstock and we don't know Miche Adelaide, those those transfers. I mean, Mel Tucker on the BTN broadcast was was telling the, that crew that this is the best group of transfers that he feels like he's brought in, and that says something to me. But well, maybe they do. But, but that's, but this but that's also, I mean, you know, you think back to the you know coming out of that three and nine year back in 2016. No one thought that team was going to compete with the guys that they had, but guys take that step forward. And, you know, you don't necessarily see it because spring and, and fall camp oftentimes are behind closed doors. No, but you could have that 2017 year. You can have – but what you're not going to have, I don't think, because that wasn't a Big Ten contender really. That, that wasn't a – They were, they were um, in contention into November. Into November they lost, when they lost they at Ohio lost State. I mean, everyone three. knew that Ohio State was going to win away, but well, that's, they were still that's there. But this is a team that, yes, they could overachieve and go 9-3. and three. I'm not saying that isn't possible. But where the program is, and, and sure, they could wind up with two or three transfers that are just above and beyond what people realize, and a couple of young players that are more ready than than, than we thought. But but ultimately, if if, if this is, I, I think one of the questions at quarterback, and I tried to get this out of Mel Tucker earlier in the spring, like if guys are relatively even, what matters to you? Do you go with the young guy who can grow into it, right? So I think that's the other equation here. What are you what are you trying to get out of this year? You know, I think there's an argument, too, that if Noah Kim were to win the job, that's not necessarily great for the younger guys who are in the program right now because the Kim's got more time left in the program. If he has a big year, what does that mean? And, and I'm not saying they should decide it based on that. If Noah Kim is the best chance to win this year, they ought to play Noah Kim. Uh, and, 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 but I think figuring out what they want to get, where their weaknesses are, and I think that the one thing that, that – um, I do think that Peyton Thorne will have to perform to a level that we haven't seen from him consistently to not have another quarterback get a look during the season. And I'm not saying he can't do that. He's a two-year starter who may be healthy with better weapons and a better line than he's had a year ago. He may be ready to do that, and that may all happen. But I think he has to take his game to a level that we haven't necessarily seen consistently if he's just going to be the 
uh, unopposed starter throughout the the entire season, probably. Yeah, and I think if you look at that, what will allow? And I'm this is even just about Peyton Thorne. I think it's also about Noah Kim and whoever else would jump in there. How good can they be if Keon Coleman is on the sideline? Right. I mean, did we really get a complete picture of that? without seeing what Keon Coleman can do with each of those quarterbacks and do for each of those quarterbacks. I think that's, you know, that's clearly him not being in that practice, you know, gives you just kind of gives you an idea of what exactly you didn't see more than anything. I think there was a lot of those kind of things, you know, between the defensive line injuries, Coleman not being out, Brantley not being out. You got to see individual work, but you didn't necessarily get to see maybe how, like, like if you like, for example, if if Charles Brantley is your top corner and Keon Coleman is your top receiver, you didn't get to see those two go against each other, right? There's a lot you didn't see. <clears throat> you know, the offensive line, I thought, you know, between the drills and in the scrimmage work, looked pretty good, but they're also going against, you know, a couple starters. There, there were times when when guys in the defensive tackles were taking knees and sitting out so they can just give them a look but not get injured. Um, you know, you had Jarrett Jackson and uh, uh, one of the other transfers, Chris Bogle was out. Um, the uh, Dre Butler, th- those guys, those are all defensive linemen that were out with injuries. And that's, you know, that what, what did you really see from the offensive line? Because listen, I mean, we could talk all day and all fall about the quarterback situation it's all, it, that quarterback situation comes down to how well the offensive line is going to play. Right. I mean, there have been times that's, I think with a running, quarterback, I think the whole, especially the, the whole, you, the whole offense yeah. really does. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a running because, game. You have to have not. And I think they've got, they look better at running back and deeper with guys that look a lot more like big 10 running backs between Carter Mangum and uh, uh, Jalen Berger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the holes are the holes going to open for them, and particularly if Thorne's the guy we've seen in 2021, what makes Peyton Thorne a dynamic quarterback is his ability to pull and run on read options and and use his legs as a weapon. Um, you know, I think that's critical. That's that's critical not just for him maintaining that job, but also for that offense to move the ball and be as dynamic as they were in 21. Yeah, I think the good news for Michigan is like this isn't the best case scenario because the best case scenario is you have a guy, a quarterback who just is head and shoulders up here, and he's just everybody. You know, it's obvious you got a dude, and that's and and what they have right now is a, a what looks like capable guys, and you know some guys with some promise and some ability, um, but I, I think they also have a pretty high floor at the position relative to the rest of college. One of the things that you know. People, it, there just aren't that many guys in the college game who really elevate their teammates. Like, if you look at the NFL draft this year, round one, Bryce Young elevates his teammates. Yeah. The rest of the guys, the rest of the guys stunk last year's college quarterback, other than CJ Stroud, who didn't have to do it until the end because uh, he was great in, in, in the playoff. But until that point, he had such good guys around him. And but Will Levis had a horrible year. Anthony Richardson had a it really wasn't that good. Like these guys are first round picks, and they didn't even do it. Michigan went to the playoff, did not have a quarterback that elevated guys around them. There just aren't that many guys that can do it. And and it's even you know somebody who's as touted as Kaiten Hauser, who might turn out to be a really good quarterback, 
in time. It is just rare for a redshirt freshman to come in and be a difference maker right away. And I think, you know, there was a lot of hype around him and there's, there's sort of some backlash to that hype. Now, I think the healthy thing there, though, is he's going to be able to grow now off the radar. And that, that is, it, it, to me, not having, I mean, he, may, he could have a, a, an amazing summer, show up more polished in, 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 in August, and be in contention for the job, and this could change the picture of things. But if that were to happen, it would come from off the radar. Nobody's expecting him now going into August to win the job, and I think that's healthy for a young guy who's not ready for it. Yeah, but at the same point, are you ever really off the radar when you're a highly ranked quarterback? I mean, even Damian Terry yeah, in totally. his career. I mean, eventually he was. <laughs> you know, I mean, but still, you know, you also got to a point at the end of that 2016 season where you had to see if Damian Terry could be the guy. And D'Antonio started him at Penn State, and you yeah. saw why he wasn't the guy because he was frail and he got knocked out of that game, but made some okay plays. But and that's and that's the well, thing. He, and he, and he had lost his drive too. I remember talking to him in that yeah. year that like you could just tell at some point he sort of knew his football career was coming to an end, was okay being a backup. At some point in his development, he lost the drive to to be a great quarterback. And and that's fine. Not everybody wants to have that, but it was it was that was another issue for him. Yeah. Well, and then you you mentioned too about looking at the draft board. I mean, look at some of those guys at at, at the top of that board and look who's missing. A guy who was the dude last year, right? Who won another national title in Stetson Bennett. And you know, yep. no one's no one's confusing him with the first round pick. It doesn't now granted you had elite play around them and even look back to Connor Cook, you know, I think people were talking about him possibly being third round or so before the, the injury when he got hurt uh with his shoulder. Um, you know, still got drafted, but you, you can win with a guy that's not a first round quarterback in college football. And you know it's it it's done in the trenches. It's done on the defensive side. And the blueprint's there. Um, you know, it, it, no one's looking at this Michigan State team from the outside and saying this team's got a chance to be in in the CFP this year. But I guarantee inside, that's that's what they're saying and talking about. They just aren't doing it publicly and as loudly as they were last year. And that and it, that's what competitors are supposed to do. And if then I think Mel Tucker has kind of made that abundantly clear that he wants guys that want that have that mindset. Now, do I think that Peyton Thorne has that mindset? Yes. I, I mean, but, but I don't necessarily say that the other guys don't have that mindset either. Well, and here's the counter to Peyton Thorne. The, the, if you're looking to make an argument that somebody else deserves a shot, he talked about the value of experience, what two years gives you. And there's no way to get that experience without playing. And at right. a certain point, it's somebody else's turn. Just because you're the older guy who happened to land in a more ready position at the time that job was open does not mean you get to keep it forever during the other people's job, the other people's eligibility. If if the job is close and you have reached your ceiling and it doesn't look like they have, then you have to also consider that. I, I, it'll, it'll look it. We're, we're and, and and obviously this is what we do for a living, and and uh, especially me, I tend you know I'm going to overanalyze quarterbacks. Um, you know, it's the glamour position and it's, it's the central spotlight. So it doesn't matter. Yes. And that's the thing is like, it, it's understandable why people want to see all of these quarterbacks because they've shown some promise that you, you wouldn't be at this level if you didn't have that potential. Um, it's readiness within the system. I think that's, that's kind of the big thing. And, you know, Noah Kim 
you you could say he's probably ready for a shot if it presents itself, but he also has to show that he's better than the guy that is there. And I think that's kind of what you saw at Michigan in some ways last year, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's so, and that's going to be – and that's, you know, no starting job I think is safe. I mean, particularly where they were and making a quarterback switch with the guy still on the roster and then getting back there. I think they see that. You know, coaches know that coaches, coaches are, if, if they're, they're paranoid, they're delusional, but they're also incredible thieves. And if they see something work somewhere else, they may do it themselves. Is there anything else that, that stood out to you? I mean, it, it was a hard scrimmage to take a ton from, like there were some moments where you saw, you know, a couple of the running backs that make some progress and good moves on the offensive line, but then, you know, the defensive line is, is not what it will be. We've talked about the secondary, you, you know, you mentioned the guy that, that, that Antonio Gates Jr. has the touchdown catch again. I do think it's it's important that guys like Gates are part of the mix and are on display yeah. in big moments. Like, that's all good news for them because like, he had been really not a guy you heard a lot about a, a, a year ago. Um, Tyrell Henry with a really nice one-headed absolutely. catch. I mean, that, was, that yeah. wasn't a great throw by Caden Hauser, but that was a heck of no. a catch uh, reaching up behind him and, and taking a hit that, you know, if that's a normal game situation, I don't know if, if Henry makes that because Malik Spencer is going in for the, for a kill shot there and trying to jar that ball loose. But in a scrim, in a situation like this, in a practice against your own teammate, you're not doing that per se. Um, it's just how it is these days. It's not, you know, it's, it's some you, that's a whole argument for another day, whether or not these guys get enough tackling and real game situations with the, the cons, constant, concern for injury but um anyways those those two guys and I thought Montori Foster had a good day um he looked healthy he looked more like the guy that we saw two years ago who when Jalen Naylor was hurt stepped in and looked like a promising football player um for a guy that had played mostly basketball as as, as a, a young kid so um I don't think there's any concern at the receiver room um you know as long as as long as Coleman's healthy, I mean, I think you know you have a complete game breaker in Coleman, and, and it's it's April, so you got a couple months yeah. to, if he does have something nagging to heal. But otherwise, I thought he looked fine. And then you know the the defensive backs, I mean, they're young. Um, they're and how much work are they going to get? And that's again when you talk about the quarterbacks, um, you know, what are they seeing? When they're going against Jaden Mangum and Malik Spencer, or yeah, Jaden Jaden Mangum, uh, Malik Spencer, and Caleb Coley, these young guys that are in their second year in the program, and you've got fourth year, fifth year quarterbacks that are throwing. I mean, they're those guys are still learning on the job on the other side of the ball. So you know, but you can see the raw talents there. You can see that they were, for the most part in the right positions, um, making some plays, but it wasn't also like they did anything real exotic. So I think, I think the, the guy I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see this fall against, you know, full fledged defensive line hitting and tackling is, is, uh, Jaron Mangum. And I'm, I'm, you know, he, you, you talked about earlier, Chris, and I think this is dead on that the the guys who look like a big 10 back and I, and I I think Nathan Carter, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think there are other guys that that um, are there. Carter right but, now looks like the starter. 
He, he does. He does. But when you have 6'2", 230, and a guy, that's the type of back, and, and it, was, it was a natural running back. Yes. And that, that's the type of guy that they really haven't had lately, and, and that sort of um, – And I mean, Other, other than that Walker guy. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but he wasn't 6'2". He wasn't 6'2". He, nah, he wasn't, he was he wasn't that size. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, maybe. Yeah, and he was – and Kenneth Walker was everything. So, like, yeah, he was – like, like I mean, he was – yeah, he was yeah, – that's a good point. I mean, they had – they did Kenneth have – Walker was, a, Kenneth Walker's now kind of like Bill Brasky. He was about seven foot eight, 310 right. <laughs> pounds, and ran a four two forty. The legend of Kenneth Walker will grow from <laughs> – and, and and you know what? Most of it is legit, uh, but, yeah. but by the end, it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be. Um, all right, let's, here's, let's, here's a let's, great let's... thing. Like when you think about going into the summer, right? And you think about guys can develop, guys can change, and you start to see things emerge when they get back for preseason camp that maybe weren't there in the spring. I think back to two years ago when Peyton Thorne had Jaden Reed and some of the other players out to his house in in Neighborville, Illinois, and there were some pictures of their workouts that they they were working with his dad, Jeff, when, when he was at uh, North central college. And there were some pictures that, that came out from that of Kenneth Walker running sprints with those guys. And he looked like a brick house. You look yeah, at this yeah. and you're like, this guy looks like nobody I've ever seen. And yeah. sure enough, a couple, about two months later, you saw him running away from everybody against Northwestern. And you're like, Oh, yeah, he well, my, had a good summer. My favorite Kenneth Walker quotes were from Xavier Henderson early on when <laughs> it was first pretty clear that Kenneth Walker was was special. It was after the uh, Northwestern game, I believe. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and he just said, you know, early on we were like, it was frustrating. It was like, are we this bad defensively or is he this good because nobody could tackle him? <laughs> and one could argue later in the year that they weren't that great. But early on they were fine defensively. Um, and it was just Walker was was – was absolutely that good let's uh let's let's talk some hoops um we'll be uh and obviously we'll do we'll do more football if anything happens you know and we'll we'll do another podcast probably in the coming weeks is there's more roster activity either with basketball or football anybody jumps in the portal or guys come in and it's worth worth getting into um last week uh for most of the week basketball took center stage and uh, which I always love. I love when spring football gets pushed all the way to its spring game before it uh, before it takes the headlines. Um, but um, interesting week in that uh, Tyson Walker uh, announced he was coming back. Uh, Malik Hall then uh, had his announcement, um, and then uh, Tom Izzo had his sort of end of year hour long press conference where he talked a lot about that and portal and his you know his roster and 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 all those things um it is it, it is interesting that you know a year ago it was like they just don't have enough guys maybe and now it's like they don't even have a full complement of scholarships i mean they, they have 12 of what could be 13 and it's like whoa, whoa this is too many and yeah. uh but i i think where that stems from chris is that i mean there is an unnatural order of things when you have two guys come back for their covid year and and so usually though, if you had twelve or thirteen, it, it, that would include like two more new freshmen or developmental guys who weren't expecting to play. You have twelve guys who I think are hoping to be part of the rotation, probably ten at least to expect major minutes, and that's where it gets interesting. Well, just as kind of like a, an aside with that, Peyton Thorne still has two more years left, and and Noah Kim has three more years left with that yeah. after COVID year. 
So That's there true. isn't a natural order of things right now in college sports, at least for another couple of years, um, based on the NCAA's decision. And I think coaches are taking advantage of that. I mean, if you're Tom Izzo and you've got the chance to use scholarships on freshmen or unknown commodities versus two guys that you've had in your program now for, you know, four years on, on Malik Hall's case and two years in Tyson Walker's case, you're going to go with the known commodity, particularly the known commodities that, that can really help you in, in different ways. Well, and, and, and bef- yeah, and, you know, a lot of times you talk about, well, the transfer portal, the one-time transfer rule um, encourages people to leave, you know, as a, as a reaction, as a reflex. But you know what? I also think it, what does help sometimes in terms of people staying is you probably don't feel like you have to get on with it. You know, so if you're Noah Kim right now in the old world where you were going to have to sit out a year uh, and you've used a redshirt year, so that would really burn you. But in the old world, you might feel like, I, if I don't win this now, I got to go. Yeah, I got to go. Um, but now if you're Noah Kim and you don't win it this following year and you don't feel like you're going to ever be the guy at Michigan State, you could leave somewhere and have two more full years left without mm-hmm. sitting out. If you're Peyton Thorne and this year goes – poorly for you and you get surpassed, you can go somewhere for a year. If you're Kate Hauser, and I know there's pressure on young guys to have it done and he does not have the extra year. That's the class that starts without right. having, you know, the, the extra year, but you, you, you don't have to sit out anymore. So, and, and, and that sort of, I, I think takes the pressure off getting on with it. If you feel like you might not and, and making a decision too soon, I think in basketball, there, there probably is, you know, if you're, uh, if you're Jackson Kohler and you got like three or four other centers on the roster, you probably feel, well, it's, and there, and then I think they're selling him on playing some of the four too. You, you feel like you can let this play out a minute, and you know what? If it's not going to work out a year from now, you're not going to have to sit out. You go somewhere for a couple of years. If you're, you know, I, I think that that is something that, that that's the other side of this that. It, that probably does help in certain certain circumstances. Yeah, I mean, Pierre Brooks is a great example of that as well. He, I mean, the writing was pretty clear as his minutes diminished throughout the course of the year to nothing in the NCAA tournament that they're bringing in guys that are going to be at my yeah. position. I've got a chance to go elsewhere, and I've got, you know, two years to do it, and I don't have to sit out. I mean, that's... And he could, and he, and he could have done it a year ago, and in the old world, he might have felt pressure to do it, but he said he let it play out. Okay. Yep. Now I mean, and, and, yep. and here's another case in point. If Malik Hall doesn't have an extra year with COVID, Pierre Brooks might be staying. I mean, that's probably uh, not. I think so. Probably not. Yeah. Not, not. I'm saying if you go back in time and there's no transfer portal, um, there's no immediate eligibility, which obviously would, would ch- it changes things on top of that. But if you're, if you're in that situation where if you're bringing in a transfer, they're going to have to sit out. Um, sure. Pierre Brooks, would say would look at it and say i can stay right away and 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 play some minutes but you know that's also a mutual decision so it would have been an interesting conversation yes. if, he had, if he had wanted to do that yeah, but, yeah. And, but but there are i mean you know this roster i do think it is fascinating to think that they're gonna have to find minutes for guys now after basically being down to an eight-man rotation for much of the year and that was one of the things that i asked Izzo about just kind of what he learned you know, almost like whether he liked giving guys those 30 plus minutes a game, because I, I can't think of a time when he gave that many guys that much run. 
uh, in that short of a, a, a rotation. But he also said, these guys are basketball players. They can do it. You know, it's about trying to keep them fresh. And, and I think the Hogard situation, when you saw how they used him, you know, trying to whittle down his 30 plus and get him into that 25 ish range down the stretch, you saw how much more efficient he was and how much, how much fresher he looked, particularly in the NCAA tournament when he did have to make a lot of runs. So, you know, there were, I thought there was a lot of things to kind of take out of that, that Izzo press conference, including that, first of all, Malik Hall had some, had foot surgery after the season, which, you know, as I gather, there was a, a pre-existing injury before high school or when he was in high school that is causing some of the stress reaction. Um, and they expect him to be on the court sometime mid to late summer. He'll be back in plenty of time for the season. That's why they took care of it when they did. Um, and then also that there might be a couple guys that could still test the NBA draft process, which I believe the entry deadline for that is coming up soon. Um, you know, and whether or not they do is that that's, that's something completely different, but you know, that's another case in point, like almost in some ways, like the portal that because they've changed the rules with that, where you can come back to school, um, you know, some guys that, that might want to take that look and get a different assessment of where their game's at and what they need to work on, uh, you know, that might be worth their time to do that and then come back. If you're, I mean, there's no no downside to getting an evaluation, right? right. I mean, that's the thing. And I think, you know, if I were a, a, a Jay Nakins, for example, I would want that evaluation because you're a guy who has an NBA, some NBA tools, put it that way. And and I want to know what, what the league thinks I need. And then, yeah. and I, I would go back to my coaches at Michigan State, and if this is what the NBA needs to see from me, then this needs to be incorporated. I mean, I think, you know, Aikens, you know, there was a lot of stuff online about the idea that Aikens would transfer um, or be unhappy with uh, Tyson Walker returning. And, and you know what, to be, to be frank, I don't think, you know, that in October that he was thinking that Tyson Walker was coming back. I do not think uh, that when Jeremy Fears Jr. signed, he thought Tyson Walker was coming back. That doesn't mean those guys aren't willing to compete. That doesn't mean that Michigan State won't build an offense and, and that, that or use, an, use Jay Nakins differently next year. They might have last year, if not for the injuries. I mean, he missed all of pretty much all of practice heading into the season, comes back, and then he's out another month. Sort of the cake was baked before he ever got in there. They had to figure out how they were going to win, how they were going to function, and then he joins them. So that, that'll be different. I, I just think that, I, you know, even Tyson Walker, I'd, I'd want to know at my size what's important to the NBA for me to get a look. You know, if I'm A.J. Hogard, what – what what do I need to do? Like, because I I think the thing for AJ Hogard, for example, is is point guards. You go back to Mateen Cleaves. You go back to Denzel Valentine. If you win at a high enough level in college, you may never be a great pro, but you can still play yourself into a certain draft spot because they want winners once they get out of the lottery. I mean, nobody. I don't think anybody ever thought Denzel Valentine was going to be an All Pro, but he was the 14th pick. And Mateen Cleaves was the 14th pick. And these guys were, you know, I, there were always doubts about their athleticism, their health, their whatever, th their overall games. But they got into the middle of the first round because of what they did as college players. And I think if you're Hogard, that's the sort of thing you got to, you got to, as a point guard, being consistent and leading a team to winning, 
you got to look at. No, I completely agree with that. And I, I do think I, one of the other things that I think Tom Izzo said that I felt really interesting and, you know, w- was his comparison of Jeremy Fears as a leader to Mateen and Magic. I mean, that's that's not the kind of praise that he throws around lightly, um, but there certainly is intent to that, I think, to let a guy know that even though a guy like A.J. Hogart is coming back and, you know, he's going to be the guy more than likely you've got a big role ahead of you to, to help this team get to where it needs to go. Um, but for Hogard's standpoint, I agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, I think Hogard's one of those interesting guys that, you know, being a bigger body, you know, he, he's, he's not Cassius Winston, right? I mean, and you know, Cassius Winston, if, he, if Cassius Winston had AJ Hogard's body, he'd be, on year three of starting in the league right now. But, you know, that's, that's, you know, the, if, if AJ Hogard had Cassius Winston's smoothness about him in some ways, uh, he might be already in the league, but, you know, for what he is as a downhill player, I think the last month of the season should have shown him that he's got that ability. If he plays under control and does the things that he did, but he might also need to hear that from someone other than Tom Izzo. And I think that's why the the draft process for these guys in particular, the the guys who are at that point where you you see, oh, well, maybe I, I can do this and take it to the next level. Sometimes they just need to hear it from someone they haven't heard it from for three straight years. And, and, and sometimes I think the coaches actually like it because it reaffirms what they've been telling them. You know, and, and yeah. when they hear it from an NBA guy, it's like, oh, my, my college coach gets this and and and, and, and um, nine times out of ten that college coach has already heard it from nba guys what yeah he's been talking to the nba guys yeah, yeah. no it, it'll, it'll be a fascinating uh, you know roster next year we're gonna have all sorts of time to get to that well, money ball will be something that'll be interesting this summer with with the new guys i think people will oh, okay. be excited what's, about that what's what's more uh impactful spring football or money ball spring football has more value internally Right, but to the fan base because it's live and it's fun, and I think it's healthy. Like one of the great things I I like about Moneyball, and bless Desmond Ferguson for having this, <laughs> is that you think about most places, the crescendo up to football is just endless. It's like it's just three months of hundred day countdown. All the, in in a in a place where football matters, football doesn't matter in July a month and a half before the season, it's all about hoops. And one thing I've always found entertaining about MSU's fan base and respected in some ways is even though they care about both very close to equally, I think, they cannot handle two at once. They cannot have their attention on both places. It is a, it's a very either or thing. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't think that's an MSU thing. I don't think that's an MSU thing. I think that's well, any, where you, the, the few schools that you do have both. That are, yeah, it's that hard to play at a high yes. level. I don't. I don't. I just think that it it's impossible to have everybody from day one buy into everything in both sports. But what I love about the the so sort of the the cyclical nature is, is like it, people's minds were completely on basketball last week until the spring game, and then all of a sudden they were completely on football, and you know. It, I think in July, early July, late June, when Moneyball starts, people are completely on basketball again. You know, they're, they're, it's just, it's a weird thing. And I, I love it because it stops 
football's there's enough august is long enough you don't need july to be intense about football too um so uh, well that's that said if if the weather on saturday or friday and saturday was like it is today on monday i don't know how much there would have been the buzz for spring football either no that's 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 a really that's a really good point but yeah no it'll be a fun like anytime there's it's you know people are always intrigued by the freshmen but you don't always get a class like this and there is a lot of intrigue throughout it and for good reason. And and I think the thing that Michigan state has going for it this year, and you just never get this is to have a class that's as good as any you've had in some time in seven years, really coming in and not need a single one of them necessarily to start just doesn't happen in college, uh, college basketball very often. That's that's a you think about last time, like they had three of those guys starting the whole year, sometimes four, and 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 they may have a couple of them starting. It, it may work out that way, but I'm just saying you got a lot of seasoned dudes who played a lot of big you know high level Big Ten and NCAA tournament games coming back to compete, and I, it's it's it, it's going to be it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun. So, um, yeah. but yeah, well, we will be back with another. Uh, episode of Spartan Speak in, in the coming you know weeks. We'll, we'll figure out when it, when it makes the most sense, when, when something has happened that that uh, drives some conversation. Uh, until then, uh, we'll have coverage at freep.com, at lsj.com, and uh, greenandwhite.com. Uh, this has been a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. For Chris, for myself, thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.